About 12 years ago, I was in a new position of ministry, serving New York State as the director of youth and college ministries, and I had one of my first um, opportunities to preach at a church in our network, and it was out in the west side of New York. I'm not going to say exactly where. You'll know why in a second. And uh, <clears throat> I was in there preaching, and I was a little bit of a longer-winded preacher back in the day. Um, and uh, my wife, Erin, had Caroline, who was a baby at the time, and she had to take her out of the sanctuary because she was making noise, and she was out in the lobby, and this uh, lovely senior citizen lady walked up to her and started to talk to her, and it became evident that this lady was not thrilled about a lot of stuff at the church, and she decided to share this with a random visitor. Please don't do that, by the way. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so she was grumbling about these things, and then she directed her... Um, unhappiness towards the guest speaker, not knowing that um, Aaron was my wife. And uh, so, um, but my favorite line from what she said to Aaron, because she thought I was going on too long, and she may have had a point, but uh, she thought I was going on too long, and her line was this. She goes, I wish he would just get to the meat and be done with it. <laughs> get to the meat and be done with it. And we just randomly say that to each other when things are going on too long. I wish that person would just get to the meat and be done with it. So this morning, I'm going to get to the meat and be done with it. Um, let's go right to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 through 12. I want to encourage you to lean in. Sometimes when you go to church and someone speaks, it's interesting. People actually are more interested in what the person is saying than the scripture that is being read. So don't, don't tune out. The best thing you're going to hear, the truest thing you're going to hear all morning is what I'm about to read. And then I'm going to do my best to help us make sense of it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, Peter says, So, remember he's writing to a church, or a bunch of churches. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built into as, up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. Uh, so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, speaking to the church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. 
This is a wonderful passage, and it has some really important things to say to us as a church. And really, this is to be received not as individuals, but as a church. And the main thing, if I could summarize what Peter is saying here, is that we were saved to be built into something, but we often settle for just showing up at something. We were saved to be built in, but we often settle for showing up. And listen, let me just say as a caveat, showing up, being here this morning, showing up is better than not showing up, right? When we show up, it does reveal something about our priorities. In fact, uh, I think this is an interesting exercise to learn about your own heart and your own priorities. Pay attention to the list of reasons that you don't show up to certain things. Make a list of the reasons why you don't show up to work, why you don't show up to your daily regimen at the gym, why you don't show up to coffee with a friend, and why you, why you, the reasons why you don't show up to a Sunday morning gathering like this. And look at those lists and examine which list is longer and why the lists are the way they are. It's a, it's a good kind of check on your priorities. So showing up is better than not showing up, but there's so much more to being the people of God than just showing up on Sundays, so much more. And Peter here is saying that Jesus is building us as living stones into a spiritual house. And what that means is that we don't place ourselves. Jesus places us like a master builder. He grabs this brick, this brick, this stone, this stone, and he builds us into a structure in such a way that if you look at a wall made out of bricks and stones, they are dependent upon each other, right? We depend on others, and others depend on us. And we also know that when the bricks are put together into a wall, that together they are more than they are apart. They're worth more together than they are apart. Go to Home Depot and try to buy one brick, and you'll get a pretty reasonable price, I think. Go into a go to someone's building and say, I'd like to buy that brick, and you're going to pay more. See, just showing up, just going to a building that we call a church does not mean that we are actually being built in. And so the question for us this morning is, are we being built in? And I want us to learn three things about being built in from this text. And the first thing is this, being built in is not easy. Being built in is not easy. The very first verse of 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter lists five attitudes and five actions that are undeniably inconsistent with a life that is devoted to being built in undeniably inconsistent with what he's just called us to in the previous chapter. In chapter 1, verse 22, he called us to brotherly love expressed towards each other. And he calls us to this life, and then he gives us these five words, these five actions, these five attitudes that are inconsistent with it. And you've probably, if you're honest, you've probably been on both sides of each of these five words. Sometimes you've been the one who's acted in this way, and sometimes someone has acted towards you in this way. And it is interesting to note that each of these five things pretty much exclusively happens when we try to do life together. And this is why, why being built in is not easy. Let's look at the five words real quick in verse uh, one. The first word is malice. And malice is listed first because it's really the fountain from which the next four flow. Malice simply means bad intentions towards another person. Malice, malice is a motivation more than it is an action. We act out of malice. We act from malice more than we actually act malice. 
It's a rotten tree producing evil fruit. It's bitter waters from a wicked well. And Paul warns us about malice, which is the wrong evil intentions towards another person. But these next four words are the things that flow out of it, and they're kind of paired up in twins. So the first twins, so to speak, are deceit and hypocrisy. They go together, deceit and hypocrisy. Deceit is, of course, lying to others, which can mean deliberately misleading another person, or it can also mean just a refusal to speak the truth in love to someone that you're doing life with. That's deceit. And then its twin is hypocrisy, which is misrepresenting ourselves to others. It's the opposite of that which is sincere. It's putting on our best face and always trying to appear like we're perfect and not having a level of transparency with one another that is required for true community for us to be built in. The second set of twins are envy and slander. Envy is wanting what others have. It's actually the fruit of dissatisfaction with God. God, you've got it wrong. You haven't given me the right gifts. You haven't given me the right spouse. You haven't given me the right job. And so what results is envy. We want what other people have. And its twin is slander because when we're envious of others, we end up speaking hurtful things of them even as we want what they have. Motivated sometimes by a desire for revenge or self-enhancement, often driven by a longing to deflect attention from our own failings. I teach my young daughters this all the time. When someone's talking really mean about other people, they really don't feel great about themselves. That's what they're trying to do here. And of course, we don't grow out of that. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, and they all happen in community. That's why being built in is not easy. If you've ever tried to meaningfully share life with other people, you will experience those five words at some time. It's the not easy of being built in. If you just show up, if you're just committed to showing up, but you're not committed to being built in, then when these five things happen, do you know what you do? It's really easy, actually. You just stop showing up. Someone hurts your feeling in church? There's dozens of good churches in our community You go to a different church until your feelings get hurt there. Then you go to another church because when you're just showing up and things don't go your way or somebody hurts you, and I'm talking about not just like, I'm talking about legitimate hurt and offense. It really happens. You just stop showing up. It's easy, right? Because showing up doesn't take a lot of commitment. It doesn't cost us a lot. But being built in means we're there. We've been placed by Jesus And we're going to work through things when people hurt us. We're going to endure things. I often say we don't really have community until we've gone through conflict and crisis and stayed. Until then, it's just convenience. But once you go through crisis and conflict and you stay, now you have community. And now you're built in. This idea actually changes the way that we treat each other. The way that we treat people who are just showing up versus the way that we treat people when we know that we're built in are different. Let me give you a quick example. If some random person cuts you off in traffic and you know nothing about them, your reaction is going to be different than if your neighbor accidentally parks their car on your lawn and tears up a little bit of your lawn. Why? Because this person's random. They, you'll never see them again. They just showed up at the wrong time in the wrong place, right? But the neighbor, you gotta live with. So unless you're totally unhinged, you're gonna be a little bit more gracious and thoughtful in how you interact with them because if you go off on them like you go off on that random person in traffic, now you're stuck with them until one of you moves. When we realize that we've been built in, it actually causes us to go, I should probably be gracious as I interact with that person because we're both here for a long time. <laughs> we're both, and I know we got two services, but you can't hide all the time, right? 
being built in is not easy. Second thing here is being built in is not optional. It's clear from this passage that Peter expects the people of God to do life together. In fact, there's no framework in the New Testament for isolated Christians. They wouldn't have even understood that concept. The the metaphors that Peter uses, together as living stones, we are being built into a spiritual house. You cannot build a house with one stone. It takes multiple stones to build a spiritual house. Together, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, whenever the authors of the New Testament say, you are the temple of God, with the exception of one time in Corinthians, it's always in the third person. It's all of you together are the temple of God. Together we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possessions. None of us can do any of these things alone. So, you know, we have these five bad words at the start of this passage. Now let's look at these four descriptors of what the church actually is. The first one in verse 9, you are a chosen race. This kind of race has nothing to do with ethnicity. The church should be ethnically and socioeconomically and even politically diverse because what brings us together is not shared common views on worldly, earthly things. What brings us together is a shared love for Jesus and his mission. And so you can serve alongside people who look differently than you, think differently than you, believe differently than you, even vote differently than you, because what makes us a family is none of those lesser things. What makes us a family is that we're a chosen race. This race is composed of every ethnicity. In Revelations, when we get a glimpse of the end of time, the people worshiping Jesus represent every tongue, every tribe, and every nation, which means we don't even lose that distinctiveness in eternity. We still hold on to that in some way. This is a spiritual race, a chosen race, defined by the one in whom we believe, Jesus, who will not disappoint us. A royal priesthood, this is a reference really to some of the Old Testament language if you study the Old Testament. As priests of God, though, we are not merely the passive building in which God dwells. We are also active participants in worship. Just as Old Testament in, in Old Testament Israel was to mediate God's blessing to the surrounding nations, that was one of their primary purposes in God choosing them, so now the New Testament church here, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are a priest of God, and your role is to spread the grace and truth to a needy, hurting world. We're a holy nation, which means that we are those who have been set apart in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus. And then lastly, a people for his own possession. And although God owns everything, he has through Christ obtained for us, obtained for himself, I should say, a special and uniquely blessed people, those who by grace have believed in Christ. And when you look at these four words, uh, or four phrases, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people of his own possession, on your own, you can't be an entire race. You can't be a priesthood. You could be a priest, but not a priesthood. One person does not make a nation, and a person is not the same as people. Clearly, being built in is not optional. Eugene Peterson says this about our need for community. He says, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life apart from an immersion and embrace of community community and not the highly vaunted individualism of our culture is the setting in which Christ is at play. Christ shows up in our community. And listen, we all know in our hearts that this is true, that we were created for this. We, you can't even get a sense of yourself outside of community. Listen to how people introduce themselves. It's often 
initially or eventually in relationship with someone else. I'm this person's son. I'm this person's daughter. I'm their spouse. I work at this place. This is the team I root for. Everything that we talk about in terms of who we are is part of who we are connected to. We're created for community because we were created in the image of a triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who have existed eternally in relationship. You can't ignore the impact of other people either. We used to say as kids, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's about the stupidest thing anyone's ever said. Words hurt. Why? Because other people impact us. Why? Because we were created to be built in. You can't even enjoy life fully, I don't think, without community. And the greatest evidence of this is how much we tell stories about things. And in this day, instead of stories, it's, it's posts and it's pictures, and I eat a good burger last week on James Street at Kofta Burger, and I'm taking pictures of it, and I'm sending it to my foodie friends. Why? Because you can't even enjoy a burger without sharing it with other people. This is how wired we are to be built in. So, you know, the Bible gives us a really powerful explanation for this. In Genesis 1 and 2, before there's any sin in this world, Everything is good except there's one thing that God says is not good. One thing in all of creation that God says is not okay is that Adam is alone. He's not supposed to be alone. So he says in Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper, a companion. And what we have to notice is that Genesis 1 and 2, here's a really, really uh, theological insight. Genesis 1 and 2 are before Genesis 3, right? <laughs> and Genesis 3 is the fall where sin enters the world. So Adam is lonely before their sin. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect or broken, but he was lonely in spite of the fact that he was perfect and living in paradise, Every ache and longing that you and I exist, hunger, sickness, and guilt, comes from living in a broken world, except for this one. The longing for meaningful relationship is not because of sin, it's because actually we've been created in the image of God. God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy even paradise without each other. So when your need for community and your desire for, when you have a need for community and a desire for relationship, it's not a sign of weakness. It's not something to be ashamed of, and it's certainly not something to fight against. And it's not optional. We need each other. And God has a plan for us to grow together and with each other, and he's called it the church. And so we need community. And the imagery in this passage is of a building project. Each of us as living stones are being built into a community, and there's no other community like the church. Paul tells us time and time again that the church, listen, the church is the most precious assembly on earth. Why? Because Christ purchased it with his own blood. And the church is to be the earthly expression of a heaven reality, the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We see in scriptures that the church is the realm, realm of spiritual fellowship and that the church is the chief place of spiritual edification and growth. It's where we go to grow and to be edified and to have spiritual fellowship. A.W. Tozer says this. I love this quote. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically in tune with each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but by another standard to which, to which each one must individually bow. So, 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away to Christ and not to each other, 
are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. What he's saying is that the best way for us to be in unity with each other is to have all of our eyes fixed on Jesus. Social religion is perfected when private religion is purified. The body becomes stronger as its members become healthier. The whole church of God gains when the members that compose it begin to seek a better and higher life. It's not optional, this life together. And one final reason it's not optional is look at the purpose that Peter gives it in this passage. He says, you're a chosen race, you're a holy nation, you're a royal priesthood, you're a people of God's own possession. And then he gives the reason why. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. This is something we do together. Our greatest evangelistic efforts as a church are not going to be individual efforts, although those are necessary and important. But it's going to be when the world looks at the community that is here and says, what do they have that we don't have? There's something beautiful and attractive about biblical community where we are different from each other, but we learn to love one another because of our shared love for Jesus, and we're willing to be built in. Now, before I get to the last point, here's some practical next steps that connected to what our church does that maybe would be helpful for you. How can you be better built in here at Trinity? And a lot of it simply starts before and after the service, hanging out and having conversations with people. But there's stuff coming up that we put on the calendar to try to facilitate this. Trinity Women, you heard this morning, there's a bake swap event that's coming up this month. This is a great opportunity to meet other people and to get built in and to bring Aaron to bring cookies home for us. So I'm very excited about that. Trinity Men, we meet every month. We met yesterday, a bunch of us, a dozen of us yesterday were over at Chick-fil-A and Clay. We just hang out for an hour. We have breakfast together. We're, we're just trying to be built in. The young adults, we're starting it this month. Young adults, we have dinner together next Sunday at the Hamden's house. We're trying to be built in. Uh, Trinity Seniors, next week I'm going to be handing out uh, something to you. We're going to have a lunch for all of our seniors in, I think it's Monday, October 23rd. We're doing these things so that we can be built in. And then November 1st, we have Discover Trinity, which is the next step for anyone who's new to Trinity that says, I want to find a place to connect and and serve here. And so that's a way to be built in. Sign up and attend Discover Trinity on November 1st. And then this fall, we're bringing back in-home dinner parties on Sunday night, October 29th, and Sunday night, November 5th. Starting next week, you're going to be able to sign up in the lobby for the dinner party of your choice. Being built in. Is it easy? No. Is it optional according to this passage? No. So how do we do this? And the last point is this. Being built in is not free. Being built in is not free. Verse 4, Peter said, As you come to him, speaking of Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. This phrase, to come to Christ, as you come to Christ, the living stone, what this means is as you, as you come to him to believe in him and, and to trust in him and to follow him. As you come to Christ, doesn't, doesn't mean you call yourself a Christian. doesn't actually just mean you go to church. doesn't mean you live different morally. It doesn't even mean that you agree with a creed or a set of doctrines. To come to Christ simply means as you come to him, it means to put all of your trust in him, this living stone. And the question that we have to ask is this, what gives us the right to come to him? Why do you and I even have the right to come to him? He was rejected. Why aren't we rejected? And I want to go back to verse 6 and 7, because in verse 6 and 7, 
Peter is kind of pulling from the Old Testament, and he says it stands in Scripture. It's the only time in all of the New Testament that this phrase, it stands in Scripture, is used. Peter's trying to emphasize something here. There's something powerful that we need to see. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him, Jesus, will never be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, this word that's interpreted or translated in ESV, cornerstone, there's actually some debate about it because it's a word that is somewhat ambiguous. It could either be the cornerstone or it can be the capstone. And some translations choose cornerstone and some translations choose capstone, but my guess is Peter was trying to tell us two things with the same word, (laughs) that Jesus is both. Jesus is both the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the foundational stone. It's the first stone that is laid. It's the stone that determines the design and the orientation of the rest of the building. So he's the foundational cornerstone on which this church is built. But also the capstone is the final stone. It's the last piece. It's the last piece of that 3,000-piece puzzle that you put in. It forms the top of the wall of the building. It's the finishing touch, the final touch. It's the crowning achievement. It's the culmination. Here's what Peter's teaching us about Jesus. He's both. He's the cornerstone on which his church is built, but he's also the capstone into which we are growing. We're living stones. We're growing. He's the bottom and the top. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. It's all about Jesus. He's the foundation for everything we do as a church. It is all possible because of him. This is not my church. This is not your church. This is Jesus' church. And Jesus is faithfully building his church. And he's also the one that we are maturing to become like. We're being changed into his image. We are growing up to him. And this cornerstone, the foundation of our building, he was rejected so that we can be accepted. He was rejected so that we could come to him as living stones. I'm gonna ask Pastor Antonia to join me. Jesus was rejected so we could be accepted. He endured death so we could live. He was enveloped on the cross in darkness so that we could be transferred, as this passage says, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And Jesus was torn apart so that we could be made whole. Jesus allowed his body to be torn apart. We're going to celebrate communion in just a few minutes, which reminds us of this. Jesus allowed his body to be torn torn apart. Why? So that his body could now be placed together. What's his body now? It's you and me. We are the body of Christ. So think about the price that was paid so that you could be built in. Think about the price that was paid so that you could be a part of the body of Christ. His physical, literal body was torn into pieces so that we could be made whole. Not just individually, we love that because we're Americans, but so that we together could be made whole, put together. Once you were not a people, Peter says, but now you're the people of God. I hope that puts a little fire in your belly. Once you were not a people, you were lost, you were an outsider, you were orphans, you were an enemy. But now you are not just a people, you are God's people. And then there's a parallelism. He says, once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Here's what I think Peter is saying. One of the clearest evidences that you have received the mercy of God is that you are part of the people of God. As we look to the living stone, capital L, capital S, you and I become living stones. And we're being placed together in community as our hearts, not as our hearts desire, but as God's heart desires. 
for us. Having a person like Jesus as a foundation and the finish of our community and not just a principle or moral code or creed, it keeps our community from going to one extreme of becoming snobby, self-righteous, and exclusive. And it keeps us also from going to the other extreme about being curiously inclusive, which means it doesn't matter what you believe, what you think. You're part of the family of God. It doesn't really matter. He loves everybody. And yet neither of those options is what Jesus offers us. We're not exclusive. In the film Dead Man Walking, it tells the story of a character named Sister Helen. She's played by Susan Sarandon, and she's pushed to the limits of her faith when a death row inmate, uh, played by Sean Penn, asks her character to be his spiritual advisor, while at the same time she's trying to minister to the needs of the family of his victims, the families of his victims. And the father of one of the victims hears that she's helping this guy on death row, and he's, he's furious, and he says to her, how can you sit with that scum? And her answer is, I'm just trying to follow the example of Jesus. I'm just trying to follow the example of Jesus. We're not an exclusive community. Anyone we will sit with. But we're also not, inclu- we're also not recklessly inclusive, which means this. We also do believe that there's a price. It costs Jesus, and it costs us. Jesus died to have us. Our lives are not our own. So we don't live for our glory. We live for his glory. We have tasted and seen, as Peter said, that the Lord is good. And so when... The man Jesus, who is both the cornerstone and the capstone of our lives, the start and the end of our community, as he said, as dying on a cross, he said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And because that's the center of our faith, you can't exactly tear your community apart with jealousy and envy and selfishness and malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. But you also can't disregard, devalue, or despair of this community that he died to build. So what do we do? We are built in. We're built in. It's not easy. It's not optional. It's not free. But it's God's plan for you and I to be built in to a spiritual house. Let's pray together this morning.